Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Hey y'all, today we are gonna talk about what drives motivation for neurodivergent youth. In short, it is interests and authentic relationships. But let me dig in. When I talk to parents and teachers of neurodivergent kids and teens, especially those raising and teaching autistic children, I often hear phrases like, I can't figure out what motivates her, or he only cares about video games or I can't even get them to care about anything. So here's the thing. I've never met a kid without interests. As the trusted adults raising and teaching neurodivergent kids, we may just have to listen a little harder and look a little bit closer, especially if a child's interest doesn't fit into what we think of as society's norm of something that's expected to like or be interested in at that child's chronological age. So let's talk about the power of interests and how this compares between neurotypical and neurodivergent brains. So in general, neurotypical brains are more often socially motivated to please others than neurodivergent brains. Being socially motivated means you can ignore your own interests for a short time to focus on what's expected of you at school or at work to please the person asking you to do something. So think about going to a meeting you don't want to do because you want to please your boss, because it's part of your job, you're motivated externally to get a paycheck, but you're going to probably fake being interested through part of that meeting. But think about doing that all day long because the world isn't built for you. That's what I'm talking about. So many neurodivergent individuals that I've worked with over the years, explain that they just aren't that socially motivated, meaning that they don't feel a need to please others unless they know that person really well and trust them. I've also learned from many autistic teenagers I've worked with over the years that it's exhausting for them to fake being interested in something. 
Many autistic teens tell me that they feel they aren't being their true selves when they have to please others, and that's negatively impacting their mental wellness. As adults, we must prioritize connecting with neurodivergent youth through their interests to build trust rather than expecting them just to do as we say, simply because we said so. We also can't make someone be interested in or care about something that is not their thing. We know this as adults, but it's interesting that we ask kids to care about stuff that's not their thing when we wouldn't ask our friend or our partner to care about something that we know is not their thing. So if you can't figure out what your child is interested in, listen in today for my tips. One side note before we start is that there are times when a child or a teenager may be experiencing depressive symptoms that leave them feeling at a loss of interest in everything, and especially things that they used to be interested in. If this is the case, talk to your child's pediatrician or mental health provider about your concerns. What I'm talking about here today is finding the interests of a child when they may just be into one thing or their interests may not align with the world around them. For instance, their interests may be limited to a specific topic or they may hide their interests from others because they're anxious that they won't fit in, and this is called masking. So they're aware that others' interests are different, and they're aware that someone may think their interests might be unusual, so they don't share it with anyone. If you're a teacher trying to figure out what motivates your student, talk with their parents. They will know. Parents, if you are seeing an unmotivated child at home, talk with their teacher to hear what your child does during free time at school. Once we find a child's interest, we can use it to build a trusting relationship. Someone who gets our interest makes us feel seen. Understanding a child's interest will also help us scaffold current skills into learning new skills. So a neurodivergent child's motivation to try something new may very well not be through social connection to please others, but through connection to interest and others who share that interest that are already intrinsically motivating for them. So let me tell you a story. When my son was young, he loved Angry Birds. Remember Angry Birds? Well, it started as a fun game. We played together on my phone between dinner and bath time. But then this interest went deep, so we dove in. We bought toy Angry Bird characters, slingshots, building blocks. I wrote Angry Birds-themed social stories. We bought Angry Birds merch. I even made a Bad Piggies Halloween costume by hand one time, which really stretched me. I don't do anything by hand (laughs) because it was just way too specific to find to buy anywhere. To this day, I still know all the names of all the Angry Birds. Did you know that all the Angry Birds have names? So around this same time, my son was uncomfortable tolerating the sensory demands that came with playing outside. He loved launching the Angry Birds characters into block towers inside our house with us, which was expanding his social connection during playtime with us. But being outside was still too much. Then one day it snowed. Snow in North Carolina is a big deal to me. I grew up here, and it only happens maybe once a year. It was not a big deal to my son. It was too cold out there, clothes were too bulky, and it was way safer and warm inside. I totally understood. 
However, this was that tricky moment in parenting when you aren't sure if you should push your child outside their comfort zone, but you're also wondering if they might grow from experiencing something new. So I decided to go for it. I told my son that the Angry Birds wanted to go outside and play in the snow. And that was it. His face lit up and he was willing to tolerate his sensory discomfort for a short time to take his interest into the snow. We weren't outside very long, just long enough to play the same way he played with them inside, but he got to experience the snow. And every year since, he has experienced the snow more and more until, you know, lately if it snows, he's sledding full speed down the hill with his brother. So a month later, after that first time in the snow, we were at the beach because the weather in North Carolina is crazy like that. So the sand has, of course, always been hard for my son. Anyone who has a sensory defensive child understands this. So sand has always been hard for him, even though he loves being at the beach. We decided that the Angry Birds wanted to go out to the beach, too. He didn't build a drip castle. He didn't swim in the ocean. My son didn't even put on a swimsuit. In fact, all of his play was exactly the same as it was inside the house. So he could focus on experiencing this new less comfortable location of the sand. In other words, we used his interest in Angry Birds to scaffold his skill of playing inside to this new skill of playing in the sand. I think it helped that he had also already played in the snow, so he knew that he had made it through that situation and it felt worth it and exciting to him. He loved taking the Angry Birds out on the beach. Because he was interested in the play, it was worth it to him to change up his location. And he wouldn't have been able to experience this if I had tried to verbally convince him to go play in the sand on my own terms. He doesn't care about my terms, and that's okay. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. I want to welcome any parents who are new to this journey. If your child has just been identified as autistic or diagnosed with ADHD, learning differences, or is twice exceptional, welcome. You are in the right place. You may also be overwhelmed by all the calls and emails you're having to make to providers as you're building your child's team. That's why I created the Referral Tracker, which is a free download at learnwithdremily.com tracker. This free resource explains what each provider does and gives you a template to keep track of all your research. Just go to learnwithdremily.com slash tracker to get started. Okay, so let's dig in next to talking about how external rewards can actually lead to intrinsic motivation. This might sound backwards, but I want to tell you why that story with my son is so important. So my son was intrinsically motivated to play with his toys of interest, 
and was so interested in them that he was actually able to tolerate the sensory demands of cold weather and sand. But intrinsic motivation is always preferred because it gives our children a sense of autonomy and pride that's naturally rewarding. But practicing skills is an emotionally difficult experience for many neurodivergent kids. But pairing the learning with an interest and even an external reward temporarily makes it feel more doable to get over that hump. So in a previous post, you can look back on my podcast and in my Substack to read, I explained that there are times to use external rewards as a motivation temporarily to jumpstart a child's initiation for a new routine or activity. For instance, sometimes children are too anxious to try new things that first time, but once they are over that hump, then they're intrinsically motivated to try again. If they don't want to try again, that's different, and we would stop pushing them towards that goal. If a skill seems too scary due to anxiety or too hard due to weak executive functioning skills, we may try out an external reward at first to see if that might be helpful. And it's okay to reward children with executive functioning weaknesses for remembering things or getting started on things. You won't reward them forever, but you will help them feel success at first. And then once they do it, they will feel proud while learning. And that pride will create intrinsic motivation of success that they will want to repeat. So once a child feels good about their progress, they no longer need an external reward. Feeling satisfied with their accomplishment is the reward. So external rewards become problematic when they're used to make children quote-unquote compliant with tasks that are very hard for them. For instance, a child may be able to override their need for movement by staying still throughout the school day, only to fall apart from exhaustion at home that afternoon. If we rely on external rewards too long or put too much emphasis on them, we end up encouraging children to ignore their internal body needs in order to gain access to the external rewards of points on a sticker chart. So what about those reward systems and behavior charts? While setting expectations for everyone is important, a necessary popular school-wide system like Positive Behavior Intervention and Supports, or PBIS, can be problematic for neurodivergent students. Knowing what's expected of you doesn't magically make you have the skills to be able to do it. Many students will adjust to the behavioral expectations of school based on a school-wide plan, but some will not be able to. When a student cannot meet school-wide expectations, not due to a lack of trying hard enough, but due to a weakness in their neurodivergence, we need to start problem-solving. As parents and educators, if we see or hear a pattern of a child feeling defeated or negative about themselves, we need to take action. Negative self-talk often means students are trying their hardest, but are looking around at their peers and realizing they can't do what's expected within the current situation. This is the time to connect with them and get curious about what is hard for them in any given situation, and then balance that with the expectations that are going on around them. I write more in detail about negative self-talk and how to support that on my Substack, and you can also go back to a previous podcast episode to listen in. 
So if using an individualized behavior chart to track progress is needed, it has to be private. When behavior charts are shown to everyone, these visual systems gain power rooted in earning external rewards from the teacher by being emotionally regulated and compliant. If we only rely on external rewards to motivate students, we teach them to only seek praise and approval from others and risk silencing their own voice of what feels good to them. When teachers track student behaviors publicly, such as clip charts, which I've written about before, we can inadvertently add embarrassment and shame to a child's day that will only lead to more problematic behavior and emotional harm. Ideally, privately tracking a student's progress with emotional regulation skills helps us identify a student's lagging skill without shining a spotlight on their flaws. So how do we make learning attainable for all students? Neurodivergent students face more challenges in school than their neurotypical peers. This is just a fact. This is because they are led through a standardized curriculum that doesn't always match their variable learning profile. For some, this will build character and grit, while others may feel helpless and lose their motivation. This often looks like they don't care, but they do. All children care. But some children may relinquish their effort because the learning doesn't feel attainable to them. In other words, it's easier to look like you don't care than to continue trying and failing. We must make learning attainable to every child by incorporating their interest and earning their trust. Some students will rise to the expectations set forth by the school-wide plan, and some will need strong relationships rooted in trust and paired with interest to make the work of learning feel relevant and worth it to them. Success is not only in the mastery of an expectation set by someone else. Success comes from a child setting goals based on their own set of skills and interests, coming back and trying again until they are beaming with pride that they accomplished their goal. Then it's our job as the trusted adult to help them figure out how to go out and find their next goal that's aligned with their authentic self. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily at the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.